0: the hoop genius podcast is brought to you by nba 2k24 hit the link in the description right now to get your copy of the game enjoy the episode you know the vibes welcome back to another episode of the hoop genius podcast with myself mo the one and only bj armstrong and so nice we had to get him twice because you guys showed so much crazy love all the fans online all the media salute to you guys we posted mr
1: scott perry is back with us today bj scott how you guys doing Hey, hey, hey! I'm just happy to be here with with Mr. Scott Perry. He's so hot. If you calm down, let me. He's hot right now. He's coming in. Hey, he's coming in hot. You know, I'm real name, no gimmicks. Now we got to give him a nickname. After one show, we got to give him a nickname. you
0: You got something cooking, Scott?
2: I I didn't know that Mo could drop lines so well. (laughs) Uh, It's not so nice, we're going to do it twice, right? That's an old school (laughs) school line now. (laughs) I'm an old
0: school G. You ain't heard nothing yet, my brother. (laughs) You know, usually the fellas don't hear me drop lines, but that's a whole nother story. (laughs) We're going to talk some NBA. We're going to start this week right. We're going to get it cracking. The NBA season started just under a week ago and a few different things have happened around the league you know we've seen some teams start off red hot we've seen some teams start off a little bit cold one of those teams that started off very cold is the memphis grizzlies who as we're recording this are currently 0 and 3 but help is on the way Mm. because a friend of the show good friend of the Mm. show mr biz macbionbo has just signed in memphis um, Stephen Adams obviously out for the season, and Brandon Clark with his Achilles injury still no timetable for his return. BJ, talk us through this. You know, it seems like an obvious decision of why they sign him, but just break it down for any of our newer fans.
1: Well, it came about very quickly, and Zach Kleinman and the staff down there, um, as Scott can can share with you, when you have injuries and you have a a season in ending injury uh, like to Stephen Adams, things happen and progress very quickly. So. They identified Bismack Biyombo as a as a player, a center who could address their need to give them a level of physicality, physicality that they want to play with. And, you know, Coach Jenkins and their whole staff was, they were very aggressive and trying to get Bismack to get down there. And it worked out for everyone involved. And I know he's really excited, you know, with your guy, Marcus Smart, so we can add another defensive minded player to the mix. And really give them a player who could fill in and do and provide what Stephen Adams did so well for them, right? A level uh, of physicality, especially on the defensive end, some rim protection, and set some screens for their guards, especially when when um, John uh, Morant gets back. John Morant, when John Morant gets back, so yeah. I think that's gonna that's gonna work for them. So uh, seems like a good fit. That's
0: how long we've been doing the podcast. Me and BJ can finish each other's sentences now.
1: That's crazy, right? (laughs) So,
0: (laughs) you know, Scott, you came on the show last week. Everyone's loving the insight you give from your front office perspective, obviously most recently with the Knicks. But I wanted to get your take on this and and just share some insight from that GM level of when you have players with season-ending injuries, right? Do you already have like a list of free agents prepared for each position in case this situation would occur? Or do you kind of react to the situation there and then and see who you can go out and get?
2: Absolutely. You have to have a list of players ready to go, if you will. Uh when you know, unfortunately get an unfortunate injury that costs one of your players an entire season or an extended period of time. Uh that is part of our job. And how long shoot. is
0: that that list? Three names, five names, how
2: far deep does it, it go? It, 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 it can, I mean, it's it's probably longer than that. But in terms of the candidates that you really would serious consider bringing in who are NBA caliber players at this stage of the, the game, it all depends on the positions, maybe two, three uh, per position that you're going to really vet uh, even further talk about and decide who you want to bring in uh, to your building. You know, one thing I'd add uh, to what BJ has talked about with Bismack was I work with Bismack. Uh, we signed him in Orlando some years ago. And you know, one of the things that I'm sure that's probably factored into Memphis's thinking is the character of the man. And you know, Memphis is a team that's you know expected to win and do well this year, even though you know Ja has is going to be out for the first 25 games. Uh, their expectation is to win and advance and make a deep playoff run. So you bring someone in like Bismack, who's high character, who's all about winning. Uh, You know, he's not going there worrying about any rebound numbers, any block numbers, any steal numbers. He's worried about the most important thing uh, for him and that organization, and that's winning basketball games. So he's going to do, you know, whether he's asked to play 20, 30 minutes or he doesn't play but five minutes. Whatever it is, he's going to give it his his all. And that factors in, again, when you're talking about trying to win, getting players – who have those kind of intangibles, you know, it's, to me, it's it's not as much about necessarily what his points per game average is or whatever the case may be. How is he going to fit into the existing team and to the existing personalities that we have on that basketball team? So I think he's going to be a good fit, and I'm pulling for him because he, he's one of the classier, uh, classiest individuals that I've worked with during my 23 years in the league.
1: Hey, hey, Scott, I got a, I got a question for you. Just something, you know, when things come up and we want to share your expertise in a recent, you know, there's always things that happen in the NBA, as you know. This James Harden situation has been fascinating. And oh, a lot BJ, of people, BJ's just switching lanes already. Well, well, I'm not switching lanes. We, 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 hey, we have an NBA. Smoke. <laughs> yeah, I, we, have a, we, have a, we have a true insider. And Mo hears me say this all the time, Scott. Roster construction is a real talent. And we have someone who has 20 years plus experience in understanding, you know, when you watch the game, you see the game and you, but there's a real art to it. Now you have a situation like a James Harden. And I want to get a insider's perspective on this situation and what that would look like from an executive's viewpoint. Like, tell me, talk me through, Scott, how possibly you would look at this situation if, you know, you were the general manager of, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers?
2: I think it starts at the very beginning, guys. Um, Whenever you sign someone, draft someone, uh, trade for someone to bring them into your building, I think it's incumbent upon leadership, and I mean the leadership, but the president, general manager, and head coach, to be able to establish and a direct, honest, and open communication with all of your players, not just a select few, not just the guys who are quote-unquote the stars, but one through 15, that you've got to have a, a policy that your doors open that, that if a player has anything that's bothering him, he needs to be able to come and talk to you. Because if something is bothering me, I'm going to want to go talk to that player. And you know, there's a saying I like to say all the time, we can agree to disagree sometimes. But I think when you treat people fairly and honestly, even when they may not like what you have to say from time to time, but as long as you're consistent and honest and upfront with them, they will respect that. And I, and that's what has been my experience throughout my entire life, really, but for sure my entire 36 years in basketball, 13 as a college coach, and 23 as in the NBA, uh, that was something that I always – held dear to uh to me was the relationships you know you sometimes you hear about executives you know not wanting to get too close to players or or, or because you're gonna have to do some you know you may have to trade them one day or they mm-hmm. may be benched one day but you can't be afraid of that I t- in my opinion it makes it easier to deliver tougher news when I got a stronger relationship with someone and so I think that's what's you know, I you know I know there's a history there uh, in uh, Philadelphia between Daryl and and James Harden. I don't, other you know because they worked together in mm-hmm. Houston. I don't know what their day to day relationship has been like uh, over time. So that's you know obviously something that you know James feels you know strongly that something went awry. I don't you know I haven't heard much from Daryl what he believes. But I think if I was to be parachuted in there today um, and tasked with trying to take that over, I'd have to get a a sit down with James. And we'd have to be communicating on a daily basis so that we both, it's a tough situation, but let's figure out man to man how we can make this situation work, at least in the short term, until we can figure out something that's amenable to both of us, whether that be a trade or even him uh, staying, staying the year and and finishing out the season. So uh, that's how I look at the situation.
0: So with what we've seen, the two Daryl Morey and James Harden were obviously very close. I mean, when James Harden got traded to the Philadelphia 76ers, Daryl Morey was literally waiting for him on the runway to hug him when he got off the plane. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a relationship between a general manager and a player quite that close. In fact, I don't even think when I'm flying back to the UK, none of my friends are waiting for me on the runway. Even <laughs> girls are not waiting for me on the runway. Only airport security is waiting for me on the runway when I'm coming back from California. You know what I'm talking about. But I digress. They were obviously very close. James Harden on his last contract took somewhat of a pay cut to facilitate the signing of PJ Tucker and you know some other players to extend the depth of the Sixers. And what James Harden came out this summer and said is, quote, word for word, Daryl Morey is a liar. I will not play for an organization that employs Daryl Morey. And what has been believed, I don't I don't know the insides and outsides because I've not spoken to either party, but that James Harden was promised an extension, a max extension, and he was not given it after the season. And he feels like he was lied to. Now, my question is this. If you're Joel Embiid, I understand you want to sit back and wait to see how this all figures out before you make your next move. But if your teammate, James Harden, has come along and said, I will not play for an organization that employs Daryl Morey. And as James, uh, as Joel Embiid, you're in your prime, you're trying to go get a championship. Would you not simply just go to the ownership group and say, fire Daryl Morey, because we're going to need James Harden on this run to the championship. All that contract stuff we can figure out after the season. But we, I'm in my prime. I've been injured a lot in my career I don't get that many chances to make a deep run. You know, the East, there's the Celtics and the Bucks. Injuries can happen to either of them, and then it's wide open for us. If you're Joel Embiid, would you not do that? Instead, what have we seen? Season Oprah against Milwaukee. He's walking up and down. He's showing a lack of effort on defense. I don't know if you guys saw that touch pass where he just, it was like he was playing volleyball. He just batted the ball away. That led to a transition three-pointer for Jay Crowder. And then in the game against, was, was it the Raptors the other night? While the team was warming up on the court, he's in the locker room tweeting about the boxing. So at some point in all of this, my question is, does Joel Embiid not have some responsibility? Because as the face of the franchise, he has some leverage to be able to go to ownership and say, look, I don't care what their dispute is. I need James playing, or I need a trade so that we can get more depth for other players in our squad. Does he not have that responsibility? What's your take on that?
2: I I think that's a very tough uh, dynamic, uh, to put it forthright and and, and straightforward. Um, Joel Embiid's first responsibility is to make sure Joel Embiid is ready to play 82 games if possible. Well, well. (laughs) That's if.
0: This is game three and he's resting.
2: Exactly right. (laughs) He is literally
0: resting tonight's game unless he changes his mind. I had
2: not seen that, you know, but his, he's look, the guy was the MVP last year um, and he's one of the tremendous stars in this league. Um, I don't pretend to know his level of frustration with the situation. I think What you're asking and what you're saying would really depend on that. If he really is committed and wants to stay to Philadelphia and wants to see it work out, well, I think we're in that age of of players where that could happen, you know, that he has a relationship with ownership and saying, hey, we got to figure something else out here um, because I want to see this. You know, I want to see James on the court helping us win, if that's how it feels. I think, but um, again, he's got to the best way that he can have a voice, though. And even though he's, you say he's resting today, it's how he's going to go out there and perform each and every day. Because at the end, you know, at the end of the day, he still is under contract, has a number of years left on his contract. He is paid to be great on a nightly basis. I think the young man has enough pride uh, in his own performance. To wanna to go out and do that. And you know, I, I I hate to weigh too much in the early season mm-hmm. uh, basketball with especially with a big fella like Joel Embiid, you know, training camps are shorter now. Um preseason's only four games. Uh so if you saw him walking up and down the court a couple of times, I don't know if that means he was disgruntled versus he's not in shape yet to, to run, <laughs> like to see him run. And uh, that's and I, as I've watched the number of games this first week, you do see some rust because I think the level of conditioning is not the same what we were used to. And I know you know when BJ played when they were you know first twenty days were two days and they had eight preseason games. By the time they had right. the game, they had worked through all the soreness. They had worked through um, all of the you know getting tired. They were getting their second win. So when the regular season opened up. They looked in midseason form. Well, I think now because again, to reiterate the, the point, you're starting so much sooner. Camp is, I mean, not even a week. And <laughs> I mean, really, yeah,
1: yeah. No, that's two- right.
2: Three. And and so you were expecting this high level of conditioning, and I know a lot of guys trained in the off But look, let's, let's be real. Historically, big guys, big men. They don't play a lot of basketball in the offseason. So, you know, I don't know Joel uh, Embiid's routine in the summer, you know, just how much he worked out when he started ramping up for training camp. But you could tell he's going to need some time, I think, like a lot of the athletes do.
1: Well, I, know, and- and-
0: I just want to clarify here, the time we're recording this podcast, Joel Embiid is questionable under rest, and James Harden remains out for tonight's game. Because uh, it's the second night of a back-to-back they played last night in Toronto. But it is the home season opener. So I'm sure Philly fans, if he does rest the game, will be pretty disappointed. But sorry, BJ, go ahead. Yeah, I was say,
1: no matter what happens moving forward with this James Harden situation, it's going to be a hot topic. And everything is going to be dissected. Because we have not one, but we have two elite players, right? Two former, you know, MVPs. And we know one decision is going to probably have an impact or affect another. And it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. However, you know, Joel Embiid, if he doesn't say anything, we're just going to run with that. If he says something, what does that really mean? And whatever Joel Embiid does, you know, because he is one of the elite trollers in the NBA, (laughs) okay? (laughs) You know, a a year or two ago, that would have been really funny. Joel is in the locker room. Ha-ha, that's just Joel. Now it's like, well, he's not interested. What does that mean? What is he saying? So the media is going to have fun with this. Now, I don't know how Joel is going to handle it, and, and hopefully it won't be a distraction. However, in the media, in Philadelphia, on the national level, it's going to play itself out, and it's going to be a hot topic. And I don't think I don't think the, the Sixers organization is going to be able to avoid it. Certainly, the players involved, and at somehow, you know, as, as it always happens, it will be resolved at some point.
0: Well, one player who's not distracted by any of this is BJ. Do you remember my pick for most improved player?
1: Yeah, what would you say,
0: Tyrese Maxey? Oh yeah. yes, thirty-one eight and four in the opener. Yeah, 34-7-6 and six last night. He's looking like an all-star. So my question right. is, you know, given that he's playing at this level as the primary guard, if there is a way to get James Harden back playing for the Sixers, do you really want to disrupt that? And how will that dynamic be? Because now you're going to throw in a guy who takes up the ball most yeah. of the time he's on the court. Well, what I want to say this. Like?
1: Yeah, I want to say this. You know, playing couch now executive one of the things I would love to see now in the absence of James Harden is now I get a chance to look in real time to see what I may need to replace him. And that way I'm going to give the ball to Tyrese Maxey to see who and what he's going to be. Cause he's always been interesting to me, Mo. And as you know, I've been saying this now for over a year. I think Tyrese Maxey was the key last year. And Tyrese Maxey, again, is going to be the key because of the of his ability to play downhill as a lead guard in this league. So even though James Harden isn't playing, okay, you can't take this away from James Harden. He led the league last year in assist as the point guard of that team. And he went through about a 15 or 20 game stretch last year Mo, where he was playing exceptionally well. You could have argued that the Sixers were the best team in the Eastern Conference. For about 15 to 20 games when he played. But now if we know that we're going to move forward without James Harden, let's say that is the decision. I get a chance now to give you know uh uh, uh what's the Tyrese name of Maxie. The, Tyrese Maxey the basketball. Give him the ball, let him see, let him see who he is, what he is, and then you try to fill that in if in fact you know that James Harden isn't coming back.
0: Scott, what do you look at when you see this roster now? Um if the if it's confirmed that James Harden isn't going to play for them again and you're not going to get a star player in return for James Harden, which I think is what Daryl Morey is holding out for. You know, he took his time uh, previously when he traded Ben Simmons and it looks like he's going to do the same thing again. But if you're looking at just kind of role players that you want, what kind of guys would you be looking at? In what positions, what kind of roles would they be playing on the court to surround Embiid and Maxie and even Tobias Harris? I think
2: they need... Um... A wing guy with some size who can be a versatile defender. Uh, Score a little bit, but he's not going to be relied upon to be a heavy scorer. You mentioned Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, 1-2. And Tobias Harris was a true pro. You know, he's, I think with Nick Nurse and the way he's going to run his offense, he's going to be able to give you 18 a night uh, because just how he plays in, in a pretty efficient 18 a night. So I just think you need some versatility uh, defensively. defensively. Uh, You can always add another guy who can maybe make a shot from three-point range uh, to BJ's point with a guy like Maxie who can get downhill, who's going to draw a lot of help defense. So to have an additional player out there who can knock down an open shot uh, would be very helpful to their team. Uh, But, you know, look, Philadelphia is a very tough town. Uh, I think those guys, those versatile wing-type guys who are tough, highly competitive, fit in that building, fit with that team, fit with that community, and could be helpful to them. I mean, obviously, I think that would be more helpful than having a player who's not playing and who uh, really doesn't want to be there right now. So you've got to just make – the best of it that you can right now. And um and from all signs, it just appears to me that you just got one team out there who is expressed interest in Now, uh, Does that change? I'm not sure. But as of right now, um, you know, that one team uh, being the Clippers, you know, if I'm them, I think they're handling it right, just kind of sitting back and knowing that this is each day goes by. Nobody else. Appears on the map in terms of being interested in training for James Harden. Either they're going to have to send him there or have a guy not play much at all for him this year. And you definitely don't want that to happen if you're Philadelphia.
0: Absolutely. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out with the James Harden saga. And if even anything happens, you know, because they're under no obligation to trade him, they can just make him sit till the end of the season. And There's the CBA rules that he has to report to the team. Otherwise he won't be able to sign a professional basketball contract anywhere else. And the Sixers can block that from happening. So I think at some point he's either going to have to play um, because it doesn't look like anyone's willing to give up much of anything. I do think, you know, the one thing that Darren Warren has in his head is, you know, injuries happen all the time. And not to prey on a team who has an injured player, but, you know, if there is a team out there who needs a lead guard or a ball handler or someone who can uh, dime the ball to their teammates, he may just be waiting for situations like that to unfold where he can then use that leverage to go and ship him off elsewhere. But around the rest of the NBA, as we've gotten started this week, you know, they are.
2: Uh... Can I oh, go ahead? One little point to that, though. You know, that can be a little dangerous when you're waiting on someone to get hurt or someone, you know, to need a point guard. Because you got to remember too, with James Harden, he's not just, you know, your run of the mill talent. He's a guy who's been a multi-multi year All Star, who's always had the ball in his hands, and he's in a contract year. So all those things factor in when you're thinking about acquiring a, a guy like this. So um, that limits the teams right away. And I don't know, even if somebody Luke, you know, unless they lose a guy who plays a lot like him and how many teams have that, not many. Um, I don't know that much more opens up because again, I talked about it in the beginning of the show. So when you're trying to win and fit personalities, uh, fitting personalities together along with the, the, um, uh, The talent meshing, they're equally important because you got to always remember they don't come separate in your door. The talent doesn't come in as one piece and the person comes in as another and you can separate them. No, it's wrapped up into that one person. And you got to figure that out.
0: Well, it's staggering to me that the NBA's assist leader from last season is not wanted by any of the 29 other teams. But I do hear Saudi Arabia is really nice at this time of year. So maybe for next season, maybe, you know, we're going to be in Riyadh. we have him on as a guest. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, the money's good over there, James. I'm just saying. I can make some calls for you. I can talk to my people out there. Who knows? Um, but elsewhere around the NBA... You know, yeah. the Knicks fans were going crazy when you were on uh, the podcast last week, Scott. So I wanted to get your take on their season so far. They've started one and two. Uh, they lost to the Celtics in their season opener. They got the win against the Hawks, but then they fell to the Pelicans. Um, what's been your first impressions from watching this team this season and how have you felt about them?
2: Well, you know, when I watched them in the opening game against the Celtics, uh, one thing stood out in a positive vein, even though they did not win the game. You could sense some familiarity with the guys. This group had been together now for a year. You know, um, Jalen Brunson was no longer new. This is his second year coming in. Uh, The starting five is the same starting five. So I I saw some sharing of the the basketball uh, that was very encouraging, very positive. Um, And so that's what that has to continue to be something that they get better at because they know each other um, better this year. And they, they only have one new player with it. Basically they switched out um, Obi Toppin for Dante DiVincenzo. Now I think they're smaller in the second unit as a result of that change out. So how they're going to work through that. Um, you know, how much is Josh Hart going to play back up for versus RJ Barrett going to play back up for those will be things to, to to look out for moving forward. Um, you know, they go on and get anytime you get a road win in the NBA it's big, uh, thought they shot the ball very well, played well, um, in that game to get that win and then went on a back to back to a Pelicans team that uh early on, even though they, they didn't look as good in the preseason, but since the regular season has started, I think they're really starting to come together and, you know, Zion Williamson is that force of nature and that was their home opener, I believe. So uh, those games are always tough to play when you go to play someone in, the, in their home opener. Uh, but I'm going to be watching yep. closely to see, just again, how that familiarity, how much that's going to help them this year, and then also want to see the level of improvement. You know, RJ Barrett is just 23 years old now. So what kind of jump is he going to make? Uh, Jalen Brunson had a fantastic year, first year in New York. I mean, you couldn't have uh, written a better script for him or the team. But now, this would be his first year now, uh, even though it's the second year, but his first year of being kind of the main guy on the scouting report. And BJ Mm -hmm. can tell you, that's a little bit, that's different. You know, last Mm -hmm. year coming over from Dallas, you know, Luka Doncic was the man. Well, when he came over in the point guard position, So people didn't really know, you know, how he was going to do in that role, how they should defend him in that role. Again, like I said, he exploded, played terrific. But now all this season, you know, he's going to be more than likely the first name teams are talking about how we want to defend and how we want to stop. So how does he respond to that? Uh, Can Mitchell Robinson continue to grow a little more Offensively, I mean, he's gotten. You know, he had a tough first game, getting in foul trouble, but he's rebounding the ball extremely well, protecting the rim extremely well. But can they help him develop a move around the basket where he can be more of an offensive threat, not just on offensive rebounds, but where you can throw the ball to him occasionally and make a play? That'll be important as well. And then, and I I obviously don't want to leave out Julius Randle. (laughs) What's what's. Took out to me, sticks out with me with Julius and watching him these first few games. Uh, Because again, he has been the focal point of a lot of opposing defenses really since he's been in New York. Um, His patience level looks better to me knowing Julius. He uh, wasn't forcing as many things that the the minutes that I've watched him play thus far. He's been uh, willing to make the easier pass uh, and, and and ultimately, that's just going to help him become more efficient. I know that's something he's always wanted to do. become you know, he he's a sponge when it comes to wanting to get better, wanting to learn, wanting to uh, grow his game. And uh, I think this is, is a great opportunity for him this year to grow his game from a perspective of being more efficient, being able to still score those twenty-four points a night, maybe on a shot shot or two less a turnover or two, a game less, uh, then I think that can help, uh, help this ball club win more games.
1: I mean, we have to say this in New York. Over the years, whether you play there as a visitor or you, you know, you've had friends and you certainly you've worked there, there comes with a level of expectations when you play in New York city. Okay. And that is, that's the elephant in the room in playing in New York, right? It's kind of one of those things you have to understand that when you come to New York last year was fabulous. I mean, arguably you, you had a chance to get to the conference finals just a year ago and every year in New York, it comes with the expectations, especially this year. So I think this team, even though they have the same roster, even though, same familiarity with one another. However, the expectations now, when you come into the garden, they expect to win now. And that to me is probably, that's the New York may be the, the, one of the most difficult places to play because of the expectations that you have there. There's no other place in the country like new york city all right there's no other team that has that level of pressure and and one thing i've always respected about the fans is they are knowledgeable okay this is a very elite fan base so i think this is going to be interesting to see how this team performs this year because of the expectations because of the success they've had jalen brunson had arguably a when you say a career year He had a career year. Julius Randle has put together now a couple, I think he's made two or three all-star appearances now um, since his arrival there in New York. And now we're looking for RJ and Mitchell Robertson and other pieces to step up, to elevate, to meet those expectations. And, you know, if there's one thing that stood out to me is I always look at coach Thibodeau defensively, what he's doing. That's where he has made his bread and butter and, you know, I, I think I was watching the Atlanta game. I mean, the score was like 121 to 126 or something. Okay. And I was like, okay, I I, I know Coach Tibbs. I, that's one thing. If it's one thing, he's been on our show. Defense is what that's, that's his thing. So that to me has stood out, especially early in the season. And we'll see how this plays out. But I think there's a lot of expectations on this team. I like their team. I like what they do. However, you know, I, I, I'm going to be looking for them to really meet what the fan base is all saying. You know, I think right now we're probably saying there are top four team in the Eastern conference this year. If you were to ask, you know, the experts and you know, now we weigh in on that. So it's going to be interesting to see how they perform and how they respond to this year's expectations.
0: Yeah. Just to go back to Scott's point of familiarity, the swap in Obi Toppin and Dante DiVincenzo essentially in the roster. Um, It's great because Dante already has the familiarity from Villanova playing with Josh Hart and Jalen Brunson. But what I wanted to ask, you know, to BJ's other point about um, the fan base, how much does that affect your job when you were working in the Knicks front office versus when you were working in other stops around the league? Because, we saw in recent years, Knicks fans going absolutely crazy. I don't know if you guys, because I know you guys ain't up on the TikToks and the Instagrams like <laughs> I am, but you see the fans outside screaming <laughs> bing bong and all those viral videos. Does that filter through to the front office? Do you guys keep an eye on like, is it a, that much more pressure than everywhere else you worked in the league?
2: <laughs> Look, you obviously know it because again, and BJ made the point and I said this and I learned it very quickly going to New York. Not only are they extremely passionate, but they're a very knowledgeable basketball place. Yes, And I and, and my first couple of years there, I lived in the city. So uh anytime I run into a lot of New Yorkers and they had no problem stopping me and telling me exactly <laughs> it, see what's going on. So and I enjoyed it. I, I I really did and I really embraced that uh about that place because um uh, didn't quite have that. Anywhere else, not to say that there's not, you know, there's extremely passionate fans. You know, I worked in Detroit a long time and that's my hometown. But that's, you, I, I knew a lot of people there, I knew everybody, but just strangers that I didn't know um, that just, you know, felt like they were, you know, they're they're real part of it. And so, yeah, you hear all of the quote unquote noise and commentary, if you will. I mean, you can't help but hear it, see it, feel it. But at the end of the day, you can't uh, allow it to uh, deter you from doing your, your job and doing what you feel is best to build a basketball team, and um, and so that's what um, personally I I always felt and I always thought and I would you know just you know pivot in my thinking just you know, do the you know, well, I believe you know it's going to be the right thing for this team to help this team get better because uh, we all want to win. You know, the New York fan base has been – they've been dying for a champion since 1973. Uh, it was the 50-year – And they're going to let you
1: know about it, wherever mm-hmm. you go. <laughs> they're they're, they're going you know to let you know about it. They're going to let you
2: know about it. That's what you know, uh, Clyde and those guys are still big stars today Right. Because they are the last champion, and uh, and that means something. And uh, people are just thirsting for that uh, to happen. So, you know, hopefully for them, uh, this season could be another building block towards getting there. And to BJ's point, expectations will be high. We, we went to the second round. We lost to the eventual Eastern Conference champion in the Miami Heat. So, uh, and I'm I'm sure, you know, the guys themselves are going to have high expectations of themselves. That's what, you know, people, uh, I'm sure they realize it, but they should at least. You know, you got a lot of competitive guys on that basketball team that want to and believe in themselves, but want to go as far as they can. So, I'm sure they're all going to be working as hard as they can to get there. And it's going to be interesting watching the journey.
0: Now, we got to talk about Detroit, seeing as we got both Mm. of you guys on the show. (laughs)
1: we got to talk
0: about how they've started off real impressive start of season. You know, Kay Cunningham returning from his injury and playing sensational basketball. Jalen Duran, absolutely electric, you know, for he's younger than most rookies that were drafted this year. And yet he's already had a year experience in the league. He of course came to Detroit through that trade involving Kemba Walker and the New York Knicks. uh, When you were there, I believe was that to make some cap space for, um, the Jalen Brunson signing. I can't remember, but how excited are you guys for Detroit basketball this season, given the first couple of games that you've seen picked up a couple of wins and I'm enjoying watching them. They're one of my favorite league pass teams right now.
2: Well, I'll go first. And, uh, <laughs> oh, well, Cause if you, if you let I'll, BJ
0: I'll, go, I'll, he's never going to stop.
2: Oh yeah. No, no I don't, but, but yeah. I want to get, I, I want them to get back where I can hear Mason through the television yelling, Detroit, basketball. But no, I, I really like what they're doing in terms of the talent that they brought into that building. Uh, love Jalen Dern. You mentioned him, love him coming out in the drive. Um, personally, was a big fan of his, um, you know, Cade Cunningham, and B.J. and I have talked a lot about him. Uh, yes, we have. The, we've, had, we, we've had our back-and-forth debates on, on Cade. Uh, but Cade has good size, and he's got a good basketball IQ, the feel for how to play. And I the, the the debate has never been about is the kid talented or not. It's, the debate has always been, okay, is he the number one guy for a team? And so that's, right. you know, what you will learn this year, really, to be honest with right. you.
1: Right. Yep. Yep. If, yep.
2: Yep. If, if, if he's gonna be that. Um so I but I you know I, I love the kid uh Thompson that they drafted oh. the But I, I, I uh remember going to see him play um at the uh overtime elite um him down in Atlanta. He and his brother um, superior athletes Um, You know, I heard
0: I heard someone say I don't know if you like this or not But Osar Thompson is a wing version Of Ben Wallace With what he's been doing so far Being able to contribute on the boards Blocking shots I don't know if you like that comparison Because I know that's a personal connection for you I I
2: don't want to jump that quickly To him (laughs) Yeah a the four-time defensive player of the year. Yeah, that's
1: me. Big Ben. That, 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 I agree with you, Scott. I agree I, I, with you, Scott. I,
2: I, I, yeah, I don't want Big Ben calling me up after he sees this podcast saying, <laughs> Pete, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying what I heard. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But uh, No, but I think uh, it's clear already that he is willing to take on the challenge to match up with anybody especially on the perimeter. But, I mean, he'll value you inside if he gets switched on to a bigger person uh, defensively. So he has the makings of, to, to become a, an elite defender in this league. Uh, it's no secret he needs to improve his perimeter shooting. But I don't worry about that at this early stage of the game mm-hmm. because he going to get better with that with time and reps. Uh, all my sources tell me how much he loves being in the gym and how much he loves to work. So I think that he's a very uh, – you know, he has a very bright future. I think the one to watch for them this year, and again I was a big fan of his when he was coming out as well too, is is Jay Nivey. Jay Nivey, right. um another elite athlete at the at the guard position. Um, he's uh I don't know what you want to call him one and a half or
0: well they've got him as the sixth a man friend. right now. Exactly. So, got yes. there, but
2: he started all he started all year, last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But how he develops this year under Monty Williams would be important too. Um because the thing about it, if they all hit and become good, it's gonna be hard to retain them all. <laughs> that's the, oh, I'm why are you talking I,
1: about the business of basketball? Let's
2: start exactly exactly. <laughs> why are you go, but, hey but hey, but, hey. That, but, but that's a good problem to have, though. Yes, yeah, a great problem that's to a good, have that's a that's a good problem to have. So I hope for uh, Troy Weaver and 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 the Pistons and Tom Gores and that group that uh that, that is the the problem that they're faced with you know a couple years from now so uh but I, I'm excited to, to watch them I enjoy watching them play because they're not going to cheat you on effort and energy and uh they're still making their way around the track um you know one two years around the track and then you, you watch out you know you better you better get them now while they're still right. trying to get some experience with because I well, think they're definitely
1: up-and-coming team. Well, you know, I I I have to chime in on my, my Detroit Pistons. You know, our Detroit Pistons. You know, <laughs> Scott Perry and I grew up. Yeah, we you grew up on Detroit Pistons. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, these are. <laughs> now, since Scott Perry and Joe Dumars and these guys, you went to six, was it six conference finals you guys went yeah, we there? went to six, six straight, conference straight conference finals. conference finals. Mo, yeah, and for our fan too. base, without a max player, without that's a right. max player. Okay. That's working Mo. Okay. Cause mm-hmm. Mo wants to be a GM. Mm-hmm. Mo, when yeah. you are able to achieve that, think about that. Mo. they went to six straight conference finals, two NBA finals. They win a championship without a max player in a small market. Now that's, that's working. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that's really working. This team, that team had an identity. Clearly, they had a lot of talent because you got to have talent, but they had an identity and their identity was toughness. That team was tough, led by Ben Wallace on the defensive end. She Wallace, Chauncey, Billups, Rip Hamilton, so forth and so on. This is the first time, Scott, that I think I can say this. They have their bigs in particular, Isaiah Stewart. We refer to him now as Beef Stew. And then Jalen Durham. We've given him a new nickname, Scott. He's What's the that? sledgehammer. He's the big <laughs> yo. <laughs> we've, we've given him a new nickname. <laughs> okay? We have an identity now in Detroit for the first time. They'll Those two bigs play a brand of basketball that refers back to the yesterday era. They are big, they're physical, and they're going to fight for every play.
0: Did you see Beef Stew offering out? Who was, who was he offering out to a fight? But it he was, was like in Washington. Yeah, in the Washington. most yeah. casual. Because you know, usually when you want to fight someone, you're like, you're like, come on, come go no, outside. No. He just looks at you goes,
1: is, yeah, let's go. Like, and, <laughs> and they get into they Now, those two, and then this young kid, okay, this kid, Osir Thompson, mm-hmm. you know what I love about him, Scott, is you, you alluded to it. He's he, he's not a great shooter, or a good shooter right now, but he can con, he contributes to the game right now and plays a winning brand of basketball by all of the little things that kid is going to be. He's a terrific defender. He looks like he's going to be an all NBA defensive player, maybe even this year at some point, because of he takes on the he takes on an assignment every single game. And we don't know about Cade and the, the some of the other guys, Jay Nivey and those guys. However, they have an identity now, and that's what I love about them. And those two, for the first time, is a brand of basketball that you say, that's a piston brand of basketball. I think that's going to be fun for them because they have three guys where defensively that's kind of their game. Jalen Dern, Beef Stew, and this kid Thompson. And then if you can combine the other athletes and figure out how to score and do some other things, I think that gives them a chance. So I'm really excited about this team. Over their first three games, I know it's early, but I just love the physicality in which they bring. I mean, they've been in a tussle three straight games. <laughs> I mean, there's been a little skirmish every game, and I love it. I you love need it. that when you're uh, the
2: underdog. Oh it, man, it, it, I oh, love it. Oh, oh, see, that's spoken like a true Detroit <laughs> 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 um, confrontation. <laughs> is not, they referred to our team, you know, when I was working there with Joe Dumas. That's who we were. Now, win, lose, a draw, you know, you were going to be in the hook back. Yeah, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna be in the ice tub after the game and
1: tell them about the two game rule in Detroit Scott what's the two game rule
2: the, the two the, game rule the, the two game rule you know the, the game and then it's oh, all right. fight the now, we're not gonna right, lose exactly. both of them oh, yeah. no, <laughs> yeah. no, and, and so beef, beef stew because I know that Ben has been around the organization and the mentorship <laughs> capacity. and uh, and I know he's worked with Beast stew since he's come there because there's you know, there's a few similarities there. <laughs>
1: and
2: uh, so that's it's been awesome. And I think that's been smart on the Pistons um, part. One thing I was going to add about Oslo Thompson, as you know, we talk about players and evaluation, but BJ uh, alluded to this point. But When guys coming out as a rookie, it's very rare that a rookie is going to be asked to have the ball in his hands and, making plays and making decisions. So a particular skill you may hear us refer to from time to time is, well, this player can play without the basketball. Mm. And so that's the Sue Thompson right now. We've Mm -hmm. already seen the one side of the ball defensively, you know, he's already major impactful. Now he's just got to learn all the different guys he's playing against, some of the nuances, some of the different sets and things that he's going to see to figure it out. You know, to become that elite defender, but offensively, again, he doesn't need to pound it to get shots. He can cut to the rim. You can throw him lobs. He can he can finish every now and then in transition. So you don't need to involve him, or to you know run stuff for him right now to be impactful for you on that end. And that is huge to me, and it's not talked about enough sometimes when young players are coming into the league. Because again, it's 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 that rare breed. That's going to have a chance to have the ball in his hands as a 19, 20 year old rookie that, mm-hmm. uh, and shooting 18, 20 shots a game. That's just not going to happen much. And so, kudos to him. And, uh, I think they, they see that, recognize that in him. And that's going to really speed up, I think, his, his growth and development as a player.
0: Well, we're starting another week here, week two in the NBA. I want to know from each of you one player and one team that you're going to be keeping an eye on to see how they play this week? Who are you focusing in on this week in the NBA? BJ?
1: Well, I'm going to look at the the Sacramento Kings um, because I I think they are a top four team in the Western Conference. And I think the Western Conference is pretty good. But I'm going to be looking at De'Aaron Fox and the Sacramento Kings because I thought they lost a critical game for them against the Golden State Warriors this past week. I thought that was a big game for them just psychologically to know that they can beat the Golden State Warriors, especially after last year's defeat in the playoffs, even though they had home court advantage. I thought psychologically they needed that game, even though it's an early, early game in the season.
0: And it was a lapse like when they was it Wiggins who drived and and they helped off Wiggins to leave Steph Curry open from three to hit that big shot at the end. Like that was in preseason. That was
1: in oh, preseason. Oh, was not the preseason? Yeah, preseason. Okay. yes. I see but so many lost, games already.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm getting them mixed Yeah, up.
1: they lost at home in the regular season. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Golden State beat them pretty good. So I think the Sacramento Kings right now, because they got a little taste of success last year. I mean, you know, Scott worked there, and, you know, they've really – They really made a turn last year. I mean, they had a terrific season as well. Like the beam, they gave an identity. They're the fastest playing offensive team in the league. Great guard play. They've added some players, some bonus in a big trade, da, 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 da. And all of a sudden now, I thought that, would you know, games like this can, can haunt you, you know, because they needed that. They needed that just for their, you know, psychologically, they need to know that they can beat that team, especially at home. And so that's a team I'm going to be looking out for to see how they respond because of all the success and all of the anticipation for this year. But I thought that was a letdown, and I'm going to see how they respond. And their best player, I think, is going to have to carry them and kind of get them to fight through this adversity, even though it's this early in the season.
2: You you know, you bring up the Kings, and I'm I'm going to mention another team in a second, but I want to add to to something there with the Kings. We talked about this with New York as well. Expectations. Mm Mm-hmm. There's major expectations for the Kings now. Again, I worked out there a short time. It was there when we drafted uh the Aaron Fox. Um and that community, you know, the Kings are it. They are the only game in town. They're the only um major league sports team there. People love their Kings. Um and so the expectation for them is that they're gonna go further. And so mm-hmm. now how does that team handle going to arenas now? Because, look, they, they had won for 15 years or so, you know, I think, I, I I forget, it's been over a decade, I know, since they last made the uh, the playoffs. So now you make it, you make it in a good fashion, what they were the third, fourth seed last year, third seed last year. And so... They can't take the fill off the gas, and now when they're going into arenas, they're gonna even get in the people gonna be testing them out to see how, is last year for real. Now mm-hmm. I think it. I think Mike, you gotta give Mike Brown a tremendous amount of credit. Amazing job! Yeah, yes. he's done it. He did a great job on uh, coaching that basketball team. But the team, I want to watch, and again, this I've always wanted to look at the champions when they come back.
0: Mm. Oh, they're looking pretty good,
2: so, oh, They're no, looking they, pretty they, they, good. They are looking very good the first week. What I and, and and I think you know again, if I had to pick a favorite today, you know I probably would look towards them.
1: Mm.
2: I want to see though what I want to see from this team, and they had a couple key losses in Jeff Green and, and Bruce Brown. I want to see which guys are going to step up off of that bench. And I want, also wanna see the collective, just how hungry they are. See, they've been a good team for, you know, since Jokic has just been there uh, for the most part. They've been a, a competitive basketball team, playoff basketball team. But now when they come to your arena, they're more than that now. They're the defending world champions. So now they're getting everybody's best shot, every mm-hmm. single the world champion nuggets are coming into the building and so and BJ knows this because he was part of a team that won three streams that inner drive of each of the players how you know how important is it to get number two to each of those players
1: mm-hmm. you know
2: sometimes you know because sometimes guys can be like oh I got my NBA championship I got the monkey off my back do I need to you know do I have to go all in. I think the media is helping. Them. I, I think early on, they look like they're all focused in that right direction, but I want to continue kind of monitoring them in that type of space. Good and call. That
0: type yeah. Of the the media is helping them because they didn't even feature the nuggets in their season opening promographic. graphic, but, um, you know, right. just to just to allude to your point, the one player that I was going to say I'm keeping an eye on this week is Peter Watson on the Devon Nuggets, the 21-year-old. He had a great game just this second that finished against the OKC Thunder. You know, they're very concerned about losing Bruce Brown. Well, I don't think the Nuggets were concerned, but the rest of the league were saying that they've gotten worse. But the way he's been playing so far, if he can keep this up, that's going to be a very interesting development to watch. That's what I'm going to keep an eye on. And also the Dallas Mavericks, because Luka Doncic has just been going crazy. That I think has kind of flown under the radar a little bit. He's been hitting some ridiculous shots and doing what he does, and they haven't lost a game yet so far as, as we're recording this show. So that's what we're going to be looking at this week. Uh, we hope you guys are staying locked into the Hoop Genius podcast. You can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your favorite podcast from. Scott's going to be back with us for more. Don't worry. Mm do part of the family now. He ain't going nowhere. He's going to be here. BJ's going to be here every day. I'm going to be here every day. So make sure you subscribe because this is the best basketball podcast in the world. Yeah, I said it. I know you guys are all listening. We'll be back for more. In the meantime, get buckets.